Welcome to the Wellbeing and Career World podcast. I'm delighted to be chatting with a successful advertising executive. Stifled by the rigorous, time-consuming demands of the corporate world, Tracy traded in her 20 years of advertising to pursue a real passion, personal and professional coaching. Tracy became a student of her own work and stopped overeating, overdrinking, and created a multi-six-figure business while teaching others to do the same. Tracy is the founder of Self Made You and the host of Secrets of the Self Made podcast, which helps men and women achieve their goals and solve all problems fast by developing self-control. And on today's podcast, we'll be chatting about self-control. A very welcome to the podcast. I hope I pronounced this name correctly. Tracy Pleskort. Pleskort. Yep, that's right. That's not too bad. I did okay. So how are you today, Tracy? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, David. No, my pleasure. So let me know where you are. You told me anyway before we start recording, but where are you right now on planet Earth? I'm in the United States and specifically in Lakeville, Minnesota. So, so where where is Minnesota geographically? So are you central, north, south, east, west? Just for the we, the idiots like myself. <laughs> yeah, we are <laughs> like north, uh, central. So um, we border Canada. The uh, Minnesota borders Canada, and um, yeah, we're we're really if you're kind of looking at the map of the United States, we're really more central. Um, a lot of people will say Midwest. Right. Um, I would like to. I kind of think of you know like we are very central north. <laughs> okay. And have you always lived there, or did you move there later on in life? I moved here after college. Um, I'm actually from the Pacific Northwest. I'm actually originally from Washington State. And my husband is originally from Minnesota and we met in college. And I always joke about the fact that our engagement was conditional on the fact that I agreed to live in Minnesota. All right. He's a hunter and a fisherman. He's an outdoorsman. And there you'll find a lot of outdoors men here in Minnesota. And so he really wanted to make sure that he found somebody who could learn to love Minnesota. And it was it's not easy uh, to or it's not hard to fall in love with Minnesota. It's just full of nice people. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful state. It's very green. We do tend to have, uh, you know, extreme seasons when it's right. during our summertime. It can be very hot and very muggy, very humid. And our winters can be a little harsh, but um, they're still very beautiful, nevertheless. And if you have, you know, the expectation of what's to come, it's it's okay. So, yeah, sometimes it feels like we live in Siberia during our very long winters, but <laughs> you just kind of embrace it and, and get over it. You're, you're a great advertisement. You're like TripAdvisor or Expedia. You're like, you're really <laughs> selling it. I have to say, I mean, I'm looking at a picture here. I'm not ignoring you. I'm looking at a picture here on the uh, on the internet of Minnesota's the kind of city itself. And you're right. It's very green surrounding the city area. Is that quite yeah. normal, is it? Yeah, it is. Uh, we have gotten quite a bit of rain. You know, our spring, we had a lot of rain. And so it is actually a pretty green state. And we are kind of known for our lakes. We're the land of 10,000 lakes. And so um, I think when you combine water, you know, areas of water, large areas of water, and so much green, it's just, it's so breathtakingly beautiful. Um I would say it's probably only second to the Pacific Northwest where 
um, the you also can include the mountains in your scenery and that's breathtaking but yeah I've just been super fortunate to be able to live in some of the most beautiful places here in the United States and so I I very much appreciate it and I'm glad you asked you're so you're so positive I mean usually when I ask somebody where they're from they go yeah I'm from here and they, they kind of move on to the next question very quickly. So <laughs> you're like, okay, you're really, I mean, you, you should be working in the tourism board of Minnesota. But anyway, <laughs> what's the temperature like at the moment um, in the Fahrenheit? Is it 70s, 80s? Yeah, we are. I think today we are in the high 70s. Yeah. And so that's pretty much what you would expect from, you know, mid-June. Um, right. It's, it's, I would say that's like darn near perfect. It just feels amazing. Wow, no, pretty cool. It's uh, you really are selling it to me and and everybody else, I'm sure. So um, I'm not going to bore you any more about Minnesota. Um, can you let us know a little bit more about your background? I gave an introduction there, but tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, well, I am a mother to two. I'm a wife to one. Um, I am a former advertising executive. Um, after 20 years, I decided to leave the industry, although it was an amazing industry that I, I had the privilege of being surrounded by some of the most creative minds. Um, but I really felt pulled to start my own business. I've always loved um, mentoring people. I've always loved understanding people better at the level of the mindset. And so I went into coaching and uh, went and pursued a certification in life coaching from several different um, areas and have built my business. I started in 2020, right at the height of the pandemic. It was actually a very pandemic friendly business to have because I had a captive audience. Yes. I had a lot of people <laughs> who really wanted to work on themselves and had it had some extra time on their hands. And so that was the launch of self-made you. Um, and I really haven't looked back. We have grown pretty much every single day since the day we started. And it's just a constant evolution, understanding what it is that people need and bringing that forward, really teaching them concepts that can be very life-changing and not only teaching it, but recognizing the value in coming alongside of them as they apply those concepts to make sure that they're doing it in a way that they get sustainable results. So Self-Made You is really a company that has two focuses. It's really teaching a concept that creates self-control. And then secondly, coming alongside of you and, and helping you apply it in the right way to the right things at the right time. And um, I like to think about, you know, any sort of sustainable change, it, it really takes insight and application, but the insight, the understanding of the rule, the law, the concept, the philosophy is really only 20% of it. It's the application that really creates the sustainable change. So we make sure that we bring forward both parts. Um, and I personally suffered many, many years unnecessarily with things like overeating and over drinking. I was in a high stress position and I would turn to you know, outside sources to kind of numb those unwanted feelings like stress and anxiety. 
And I would look for solutions outside of myself because, you know, I don't know, I, I definitely know here in America, we have so much messaging that tells us, you know, what life should look like and where to go if your life doesn't look that way. And I believed that messaging. So I was always looking for the quick fix and never trying to solve the problem in a sustainable way by starting at the level of my mind. And now that I have understood what was missing, you know, I felt out of control. I really needed to create a sense of self-control, a self-reliance. And um, once I figured that out and it really worked well for me in the area of overeating, and then I applied it to over drinking, and then I started applying it to relationships. And then I applied it to growing my business. I'm like, you know, I developed a system that's very repeatable and it's working for me in an unlimited amount of ways. This should be taught. And so self-made you was birthed. And I, I like to think that we bring forward a level of education that, you know, is, is left out of a lot of people's, you know, formal educational experience. And, I think our schools here in the United States tend to teach you what to think, but they don't teach you how to think. And so self-made you really fills that gap for a lot of people. And it teaches you how to think in a way that creates self-control. And so I've just pretty much dedicated my life to bringing that forward and sharing that with people. That's pretty interesting. I mean, can I ask then, go back to being an advertising executive. I mean, how stressful was that position or if it was stressful? And did that, do you think yeah. that was the majority of the reason why you're overeating and overdrinking? Um, I think that I, I really do think that the reason why I was overeating and overdrinking was because I didn't have any other way to cope with stress. Right. I, you know, when I came home and I had, I have two children that are 14 months apart. So now that they're 22 and 23, 14 months apart is no big deal. But yes. when they were <laughs> one and two, that was a little trickier. And so you know, it was really, I'm going to blame it on not knowing how to cope with right. that feeling of stress. So that, you know, I had so many, you know, thoughts about the circumstance of being a young mom with two young kids. I also had a lot of thoughts about being a young person in a very high level position. I also had a lot of thoughts about my long commutes into downtown Minneapolis and the amount of time I was spending away from home. But it it really goes back to the root cause. It's the way I was choosing to think about all of those circumstances and the feelings that were being created from those thoughts. So the stress was derived from the way I was thinking. And I didn't know that at the time. So I literally thought that I was broken. I thought, all I was deducting from that stress was there was something majorly wrong with me and I didn't know how to fix it. And so I didn't want to keep feeling stressed. So I just numbed it. I numbed it through with food and I numbed it with alcohol. And so I'm not going to blame it on the job. I really am going to blame it on the fact that I just had never been taught how to cope with those feelings. Do you think Trace is well looking back and not to blame the organization we're working for, but do you think if they were made of wear 
of how you're feeling at the time, would there be some sort of solution to this? Or did they have any kind of process in place that you could actually go and ask and say, look, I'm feeling this way or that way. I'm kind of like an autopilot mode at the moment. Or yeah. is that me asking too much if you're not trying to get it? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, there, I, I actually had the good fortune of working for a company that the culture was very open and they did have a lot of resources. I don't think the resources, you know, had a big focus on mental health at the time. I do now see more corporations having a focus on mental health, but um, at the time, that it was really more like, oh, we have a gym and we have a kitchen and we have, (laughs) we bring in massage (laughs) therapists, you know? So that was really cool. It made for a great culture, but mental health wasn't really on the radar. Um, So could that have helped? Absolutely. uh, For sure. I think without knowing that there is support and there's resources out there, people are left to their own devices. And unfortunately, they often conclude that they're just broken. And, and, you know, sometimes they are broken beyond repair. And that's just what I like to call a primitive brain thought. You have, we all have this three pound organ that resides in between our ears. And part of it is it's really meant to keep you safe. The primitive part of your brain offers you a lot of fear-based thoughts in an attempt to keep you safe. And most of the time we react, we have these knee-jerk reactions to those thoughts. And often we get results that we don't like. They're very unintentional, but our brain operates by default from that part with those kind of thoughts, unless you're taught how to become aware of what's actually going on to really understand that neuroscience, which is not that complicated, and to be able to shift to operate from the other part of your brain that I like to call your prodigy brain. And that's the part of your brain, scientists, doctors would call it your prefrontal cortex. But that part of your brain has the ability to kind of question your own thinking. It has the ability to be intentional. You can access certain inherent strengths like empathy and discovery and innovation from that part of your brain. But those strengths are not available to you when you're spinning out in the dramatic thoughts that the primitive brain offers you. And again, your primitive brain is strong. It's been used for majority of your life because again, you haven't been taught about the neuroscience of your brain and how to intentionally use the other part of your brain and and have a heightened sense of awareness about what's going on when the primitive brain is front and center, when it's in the driver's seat. I I do like the way you you mentioned there, Tracy, you know, we haven't been taught. And I think that's true because it's everybody has a different outlook on life or opinions or perception. And I suppose we're all trying to fit into this kind of accepted way of society. Um, but if, if you haven't been taught or you don't fully understand something, it's very difficult, isn't it? So mm-hmm. is that why sometimes in certain circumstances, individuals might lose, so we're going to move on to self-control now, but they might lose a bit of self-control because they're not aware of that while others can kind of, kind of stay calm you know, I'm right. a level head. So yeah. 
first question is what what is self-control then? I mean, what are we talking about somebody just losing the plot all the time and getting mm-hmm. angry and, and 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 emotional or is there more to it? Yeah. So I, I always love hearing other people's definitions of self-control. Like I think, you know, 10 years ago, I would have defined it as, you know, not being able to pass up that plate of cookies that I see in the kitchen, you know, without indulging or pass up, you know, a glass of wine, my favorite type of wine. Um, And that's really not it at all. Like that's an action. I like to think of self-control as an ability to intentionally create the thoughts and the feelings and the actions that actually support what it is that you most want in your life. It's actually the ability to see what your primitive brain is offering to you and what you unintentionally create when you are operating by default. Now, that is like a self-reliance. That's a skill that you can learn. So another way of saying that is, you know, you are tapping into yourself to get the results that you want versus looking outside of you for, as a, you know, for the resources for help, or sometimes we go outside of us so we can point the finger and blame things, you know? So it's really about like this ability to kind of take responsibility for all of your results, but the, there's an action involved in that. It's like, it's an understanding. It's a skill set of being able to tap into your own thoughts, your own feelings, literally create what it is, create the thoughts that feel good, that you know are going to drive the behaviors and have you showing up in a way that supports what you most want. So control is often trying to influence something outside of you. Self-control is the ability to create from within. If that great, great, great definition, a great explanation. So if, okay, let, let's put them into practice, so to speak. Say yeah. say you're in a uh, situation in work, there's a conflict in work, for example. I, I don't know if we can add this part of self-control or in personal life. And you're dealing with a situation where maybe a boss is horrible or a colleague is horrible to you. And you're you're going to react to that situation. How then do or what techniques can you recommend to the individual? Is it because is it because the individual who's been aggressive or I mean, aggression, I suppose, is all. It all depends on opinion or perception. But if if yeah. somebody is being argumentative with you or angry with you and you see it this way, what do you recommend the individual do to do to maintain a calmness or a control or a self-control? Yeah. So, you know, if you don't have self-control, you're probably feeling out of control. So I would first ask you in that scenario, if your boss is yelling at you, you know, is this a problem? why is this a problem? You're feeling like if we just kind of play this out, you're feeling inferior, you're feeling defeated, or you're feeling like you don't measure up. Okay. Those are actually thoughts. I don't measure up. You know, he doesn't like me. He doesn't think I'm doing a good job. Um, Those are all thoughts. That's not the circumstance. A circumstance is actually a fact. 
it's something that, you know, you really have little control over. If your boss says words to you and they, and he happens to be yelling at you, that's a fact, but what are you going to make that mean? What are you thinking about that? Because it's your thoughts that create your feeling. It's not yes. a circumstance. It's your thoughts about that circumstance that actually create the feeling. So if you are in control, then it would stand to reason that you can change the way you're thinking about any given circumstance to change the way you're feeling. So if you answer the question when I ask you, you know, how do you feel about that? Or why is that a problem? Or is that a problem? And do you want to change it? If the answer is yes, then we are going to start at the level of your mind. I'm going to find out, okay, so if it's a problem, why is that? And you answer, you know, well, I've, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. Okay. So you're feeling afraid. Why are you feeling afraid? Well, because I don't think he thinks I'm doing a very good job. Okay. That's a thought. So now we know what the circumstance is. Boss yelled at you. You're having a thought that I might lose my job, which is making me afraid, which then has me showing up in a way without confidence, right? I start maybe speculating. I maybe take it home with me and I start yelling at my kids. I probably shut down or hide. I don't go ask for any sort of clarification. Maybe I start getting more resentful. Maybe I start gossiping about this and how much, you know, how unfair this boss is. And as you can see, David, how this quickly starts to spiral and you can yes. see how you are creating your own experience. You could also choose to have the thought, you know, maybe he just doesn't understand me. Like that's a thought he's, we're not changing the circumstance Yeah. or I wonder how I could help him better understand me. Right. Like that's yes. a thought which makes you feel different. That maybe makes you feel curious. And that curiosity is going to drive a completely different set of actions. And you can see how then that's going to unfold. So it all starts at the level of your mind. It doesn't start with trying to change things that are out of your control, things that are outside of you, things that are basically factual. Like we can't change those things. That's an uphill battle that is a sure sign of, you know, defeat and exhaustion because we often cannot change circumstances. But what we can change is the way we think about them. And even in those, you know, circumstances that most people would agree are unwanted or uncomfortable, we can still choose how we're going to think about them. We can. And I know that sometimes that seems a little unbelievable, but the more you play around with this concept, the quicker you will see for yourself, oh my God. I can choose the way I'm going to think about this circumstance and it it completely changes the way I feel. And I can, I have a choice. Most people who feel out of control, they don't realize that they have a choice. And so I t simply teach them that they do. Does, do you think a situation like that as well, Tracy, that if you had say a boss or somebody, a friend or, you know, we all have disagreements in life and they are speaking to you a certain way or their actions or their body language. 
do you think will it shock them into kind of pushing back a little bit? Because if you're not reacting to their ways, do they kind of stand back a little bit and kind of go, oh, okay, this, this person's not losing their temper, they're not losing their cool. Do they feel a bit more nervous then? Is that how they might feel? Yes. I that's that's kind of a 2.0 question here because I teach this as well. And it's it really kind of goes back to the law of attraction. And you know, you are always getting back what you're putting out. But I do also believe strongly that when you're operating from your prodigy brain, other people kind of in your sphere of influence, they tend to meet you they start to use their prodigy brain. And the same is true in the reverse. When you are using your primitive brain and you're being very reactive, other people tend to meet you there as well. So yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, call it modeling a certain type of behavior, call it law of attraction or call it, you know, the neuroscience of our brains. Absolutely. I see that happen every single day. And the fight or flight mentality where you, you know, as you mentioned there, you might you might mirror somebody's actions or you might just go home and kind of, you know, ponder about what happened and get a bit more resentful to your boss or to life or your family. Um, does that go on more now, do you think, than, than previously? Because are, are, do you feel that, individuals are under more pressure at work to succeed, materialistic values, what we see in social media and so on. Could that have an influence on what's going on, do you think, in your own opinion? Well, that is a function of your nervous system. And, you know, fight or flight is a coping technique. So when your primitive brain is telling you that you're in danger, most people fall into one of three categories. It's fight or flight. It's Um, freeze or it's fawn. And so it's interesting. I think, you know, different people, it's, we're all very unique. And I think our nervous systems follow suit. They too have very unique um, ways of coping. So you can kind of see your own personal patterns. Some people have a tendency to run. Some people have a tendency to just kind of shut down. And other people have a tendency to kind of give in, right? Like they they just kind of succumb to or come into agreement with whatever is going on. So one of those three ways is they're all coping techniques. And so if it's worked for you in the past, your body likes, your brain likes to be efficient. (laughs) It likes patterns. And so you'll notice that that's your tendency. Now, the question is, does it work for you? So if you are in fact in danger, it may be working for you. But we all have these saboteur narratives that are coming from our primitive brain that the the reason why they're being triggered is because our primitive brain is saying danger, danger, danger. When when we're standing in front of our boss, we're really not in any danger. And so that's how we become sabotaged. It's we're operating from our primitive brain that thinks we're in danger. But if we're not in any danger and we literally listen to those thoughts and we react from it, it sabotages us. If we were in danger, it would actually be helpful. But 
you know, as the name of that brain suggests, it's a primitive brain. We have evolved into a state that we're really not in very much danger very often, but our primitive brain has not caught up to that. So, um, yeah, our nervous system, that is just, it's, it's reactive way of coping. So when you think of it that way, instead of making, you know, a fight or flight, um, experience mean that you're wrong or you're broken, you can choose to just think of it as this is my nervous system's way of coping. It's a coping technique. It's very natural, but you get to decide if it's working for you. And if the answer is no, then that's where I step in and I teach you the self-control operating system so that you take back control. You don't operate from your primitive brain. You recognize what's going on and you operate from your prodigy brain and gain back that control. Say if Tracy, right, your boss, and I've been critical of bosses here because I'm good bosses out there, <laughs> because we all sometimes don't get on with each other for some unknown reason, just, just part of life, or your colleague or your supervisor or even somebody that's below you in work or even a friend or whatever, the list goes on. Say if their primitive brain, right, um, is always in action and you've you've done your best to be calm, under control, self-control, you ask these questions, is it better to just walk away? So say, for example, you're in this very high tense situation. You've thought about the situation. You're not confrontational. Uh, the other individual is constantly at you, constantly at you. And there's nothing you can do to kind of regain the, the, the conversation or regain the respect. Is it better just to say, look, enough's enough. Okay, I'll... I'm leaving the company or I'll take a break from the relationship. Is that possible? Do you think? I definitely think that's possible. It's not the approach I would take. I would really, again, go back to myself and ask myself, like, how am I feeling about this? I wouldn't just say, okay, I can't get through to this person throwing in the towel. Like if I'm feeling defeated, um, you know, how does that solve anything? If I'm going to walk away from an experience, a situation, a circumstance, I really would rather feel like it's just complete. You know, I would really, I want to work on my thinking so that I leave this circumstance, this experience feeling the way I want to feel. So before I just walk away, I'm going to check in with myself and find out how is it that I'm feeling. And one of the best thoughts that I have found when a relationship is complete, um, an effort is complete, is simply labeling it as complete. It doesn't have to be because a relationship is ending. That doesn't have to be a bad thing. You know, everybody could have one from having the experience of this relationship, it doesn't have to be forever lasting to make it good. It can simply just be complete. And that's a really great way to think about something and to feel really satisfied versus feeling, you know, regret or any sort of, you know, revenge or, you know, any sort of disappointment. Like, 
I, when you said, you know, oh, you're, you're so optimistic. It's like, I do a lot of self-coaching about how do I want to feel? I mean, it, it kind of is a selfish way of living, but (laughs) I want to make sure, I think everybody would agree that moment by moment, life is pleasurable, right? Like that's the whole point of being here. Like we only experience life through feelings. And if I've intentionally decided I want to make this like one precious life that I have really enjoyable, then I need to be checking in with myself. How am I thinking about the moments, moment by moment by moment? And because it's my thinking that creates the way I feel. And so it really just boils down to that. So instead of focusing on the other person in that scenario that you gave me, David, I would again, go back to myself and ask myself, how am I feeling about that? And if it's not the way I want to be feeling, then I need to do some self-coaching on it. It doesn't even have to involve the other person. What about then, Tracy? People's minds. <laughs> well, it does because it's it's interesting. You're quite a unique person. I've spoken to a lot of people that do the the, the life coaching and and uh, certain techniques, and you're you're very unique the way the way you 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 deal with this. And it is very interesting. I have to say, I find. So, what about? Let's think if you hear this term all the time, and let's put it to a, a personal life experience, so to speak, where you hear this term ghosting, right? And I only heard this term in the last couple of years. Do you think, in your own opinion, that people that ghost somebody, they're trying to maintain, or an individual or a group or a company, whatever it is, they're trying to maintain a self-control that they can go away and kind of not have to deal with that situation. I know ghosting is kind of a weird, it's it's a, it's a term that's out there now, but you don't try to get it. If somebody ignores somebody, um, are they trying to work on themselves, do you think, by ignoring them or ghosting them, as they say? Maybe. <laughs> My best answer to you is maybe. it That could be, but we wouldn't know. And so where I would really caution you is, speculating that that is in fact the answer because if you don't know and you're sitting there thinking they ghosted me because fill in the blank um and that doesn't make you feel good then i certainly would not decide that that's the answer because you don't know that that's the answer so why would you choose to believe that when that doesn't feel very good if you want to feel good then i'm going to challenge you to decide to think differently. And there's probably a million and one ways that are very believable to you that you could think about being quote unquote ghosted. Like maybe this person doesn't know what to say. Maybe this person doesn't have the capacity to continue on with this conversation. Great answer. No, great answer. It's 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 just trying to you you hear these terms all the time, as we say, about self-control, control, losing control, losing calmness, conflicts, and they happen in everyday life. But yeah. these a lot of these terms that are coming up now, they they kind of I don't know if it's a fun way of kind of making something fun out of something serious, but yeah. there there is individuals out there that feel upset or they feel hurt. Um, right. because and those they, are the individuals that I care most about because I know I can help them. I absolutely know I can help them. That's what I that's what I call unnecessary suffering. 
Yeah, because they probably feel lost. They probably don't understand what's happened. They've had a relationship with with an individual or a company or or anything, and all of a sudden they put so many years or months into something, and it's it's gone. And they're probably wondering, what have I done, or what have I, what can I do to help, or or what can I do to fix this? But maybe sometimes, Tracy, you can't fix it. Yeah. But you're saying maybe you can. <laughs> yeah. Like until you know, I would highly advise you not to speculate because you don't know. And and really deciding on how you're going to think about something really takes some questioning. So our self-control operating system, we have a framework that we teach from and it's S-E-L-F. I just simply tell people, you have to understand yourself in order to gain a sense of control, period. It's S-E-L-F. So the S is self-coaching. So asking yourself a lot of these same questions that I've been throwing out there is a way to better understand, to get to the bottom of how do I want to be feeling? I get to choose how I want to feel moment by moment by moment, because the only thing driving my feelings are my thoughts. And I can be intentional about the way I'm thinking about any circumstance. I don't care if it's the circumstance of a dog barking or it's the loss of a child. You get to choose how you're going to think about that. And I'm also not insinuating that you shouldn't feel unwanted feelings we should feel unwanted feelings. That's part of the contrast. All feelings are on the spectrum. They make the unwanted feelings make the wanted feelings available to you. So I'm what I'm saying is you have a choice. So if you're grieving the loss of someone, you can grieve that loss as long as you want to. There is nothing wrong with feeling loss. But when you're ready to stop feeling that way, you have the control. You can decide to think, I'm done grieving. I've grieved this loss. I've now completed that part of my life that doesn't take anything away from how much I love this person. You can continue to love this person even if they're not here anymore. The relationship that you have is even existing at the level of your mind. You are feeling love because you are having thoughts that are very loving thoughts. It doesn't even require the other person to be in your presence, which is very mind-blowing. But yeah, I self-coaching, asking yourself, learning to ask yourself the right questions is a very powerful tool. That's why we teach it up front. It's the very first step towards gaining self-control. You can't skip it. (laughs) So we teach people how to ask themselves these questions. And notice it's self-coaching. I'm not trying to make people dependent on me as their life coach. I want to teach people how to coach themselves. The E in self is eliminating the obstacles. Most of these obstacles, again, they reside at the level of your mind. It's a lot of saboteur type narratives. So we have an assessment that really shines a light, brings to light which saboteur narratives are most common in your life. Um, I would say the judge, where we judge 
ourselves. We judge other people. We judge circumstances. That's probably the most universal saboteur narrative out there. But there's other ones like the people pleaser, like the victim, um, the hyperachiever, the controller. So knowing which one is most likely to be present, it makes it easier to see it when it's there. So that's eliminating the obstacles and then leveraging those prodigy brain strengths. The L stands for leveraging your prodigy brain strengths. And there's five prodigy brain strengths that you can access when you're operating from your prodigy brain. And those are empathy, discovery, innovation, navigation, and activation. And when you learn to leverage those strengths and forge intentional results, so the F is forge intentional results, utilize best practices. This is where the A's, the the actions, the checklists, the best practices that you know when you want to solve a problem or you want to achieve a particular goal, you know there's best practices involved. You make sure you're operating first with self-control and then you take that checklist and you go, okay, and here is what I'm going to activate with. I'm going to activate these best practices. You get the grand slam every single time when you do it in that that order. When you start with just a checklist, like a lot of programs will have you do, they'll hand you a checklist and say, okay, now go off on, get on your way and just make sure you check every single box. That is, you know, there's nothing that really sets the mind in a place where, you know, you're seeing what sabotaged you in the first place, why you haven't gotten the result that you want. There's nothing that sets you up to be driven, to be motivated by a feeling that actually feels good. That's actually going to create sustainable results. And the reason why so many programs do that is because they know it's not going to be sustainable and they know you'll come back. You'll either come back for a refund or you're going to come back saying, yeah, this didn't work for me. I told you I was broken. Let's try it again. Here's my money. (laughs) (laughs) And how long, Tracy, does this program take? I mean, are you talking continuous development? Is it like short term? Well, we have we have 10 week programs that are very specific to the bulk of the problems that are out there or the bulk of the goals (laughs) that people want to achieve. So we've got self-made mind and body, which is a weight loss program. But we take weight loss. We look at it through the lens of metabolic health because I prefer to look at longevity. Um, So the best practice in self-made mind and body is really understanding your blood glucose levels, understanding your insulin levels. So it's pretty scientific. That's a real metabolic and a mental approach to weight loss. So that's our self-made mind and body program. And that's 10 weeks. We have self-made mind and relationships, which is 10 weeks, self-made mind and leadership, self-made mind and money, self-made mind and um, habits. We have a lot of people will who want to stop over drinking or overspending. They'll take our self-made mind and habits program. So they're all 10 weeks, but what it is, how they differ from one another is we take the self-control operating system and we very specifically apply it to that problem or that goal. So I teach 
the self-control operating system at the front end. Actually, anybody can access that. They can go to our website and learn the self-control operating system. Where the real value comes in is when it's very specifically applied under the watchful eye of a coach so that you know you're applying it in the right way. And then as you become masterful at it, you can apply it to anything in your life. So those people that I talked about that started back in 2020 at the height of the pandemic, 90% of them, I mean, that's a phenomenal retention rate. 90% of them are still with us today because they have seen how taking this one system, this very simple four-part system and applying it to different areas of their life has become so life-altering and it becomes really fun And they now want to teach it to other people, usually the people that are kind of in their inner circle. And it's just becomes this endless process of, you know, applications and you can keep leveling up. You can keep going after the things that you once maybe thought impossible by utilizing this system. So yeah, it's, it is a daily practice. Um, I think you can become masterful at it quite quickly because, it's applicable in so many different applications. Um, I think people stay with us because of the community. I think they stay with us because it's affordable. (laughs) Um, I think that, you know, we, you know, we offer a lot of coaching too. And I, myself, I'm a coach. I, I live, eat, breathe, sleep this And I still have to self-coach and I still get my own coaching from master coaches because to have that check-in, to have that objective, you know, mind on my circumstance, to be able to show me how I'm thinking about this and how I'm creating my own result. I have blind spots too. So that's the value. That's why I think people stay. Um, I don't think it's necessary. It's not like a lifelong contract. You know, it's, it's a 10 week program, but a lot of people do join our membership just because it's affordable and it really kind of creates a maintenance type program for them. And and when you said 10 weeks, is it every day? Is it like seven days a week, five days a week, or how does it work? So we have um, our 10 week program is we, the lessons are delivered via the app. We get a lesson every single week. So once a week, a lesson comes. And then every single day via the app, there is supporting videos and supporting worksheets. So you're really keeping your finger on the pulse of that particular lesson. So it really holds you accountable um, every single day of the 10 weeks, but there's one lesson a week. And then there's also one group coaching call a week that's live, but all of that is recorded as well. So we do get people from different time zones that can't make those live calls, but they can watch the recording via their app you know, at their convenience. And is it generally individuals or do you do organizations as well? So is it, is it global? Both, both. We have, um, so we do sell business to business B2B. Um, and most of what we do is because we have way more offers that are, you know, um, geared towards an individual. So, but we do have self-made mind and performance is for teams. And so I do get a lot of managers um, looking at self-made mind and performance for their team. And they actually go through the program at the same time 
they can get individual one-on-one coaching, but they do get group coaching. So they, as a team, they learn to speak the same language um, and they learn how to apply this system um, together. And it's really, really helpful. So um, I do have quite a few teams that I work with as well, but um, most of our programming, if you're just kind of looking at it on paper, uh, is heavily weighted towards the consumer, the individual. Right. But you have, I mean, I'm very nosy with your website as well, selfmadeyou.com. And um, you have some great tools on the website. You have a blog. Um, you have the information that you can you know, work with yourselves. You have the different programs. And, Tracy, you also have a store. And I was a little nosy earlier on. You have cups and T-shirts and <laughs> water bottles and you have... Uh, you have a lot of stuff there you have. So well done. You even have, which I thought was quite nice, actually. You have a mobile phone accessory, <laughs> which is uh, very, very uh, nice. So, I mean, fair play to you as well. It's it's uh, it's a great idea you have. And I'm, I'm, I think you're very unique in what you do. And you're, you're very optimistic. You're very passionate. And you can hear that the way you're talking. It is, I mean... You mentioned earlier on, and one thing I find interesting, you hear this statement a lot, or, or this, um, what is a people pleaser, Tracy? <laughs> a people pleaser. Well, I think we can all relate. Um, I think the people pleaser really fears that expressing their true opinions will like jeopardize the acceptance or the affection that they want. Um, they often think that they can rescue or solve other people's problems. Um, they do that because then they think that people will need them and appreciate them. Um, it's just somebody who really indirectly tries to gain acceptance and affection by helping and pleasing and rescuing. Sometimes it looks like flattering other people and they tend to lose sight of their own needs And ultimately, it results in them becoming resentful. And I really think that people pleasing is a form of manipulation because it's not who you are. You're not acting as your authentic self. And, um, you know, that's not fair to you. And that's certainly not fair to those around you. And it's so much more liberating to recognize that you have that tendency. That's not who you are. You just have that saboteur narrative that shows up under certain circumstances, but that can be changed. And so I like to work with people who consider themselves a people pleaser because first and foremost, <laughs> I want them to know that that's not their identity. You know, I can, I can sniff them out quite quickly. They're the people that you know, they're very worried. They often are harboring a lot of resentful feelings. Um, And that's unnecessary. So yeah, I like to help the people pleasers out there. And (laughs) And the people who think that they're people pleasers. Any people pleasers out there get in touch with Tracy. So what about, I mean, how then do others see people pleasers? I mean, in your own opinion or your own experience, do they see them as quite desperate, lonely individuals? You know, I think some people um, will use it to their advantage. You know, I think some people will take advantage of that. Um, I think other people will see them as, you know, um, somebody that maybe doesn't 
doesn't think as highly of themselves. You know, they don't think that their true opinion actually measures up. And so they sometimes they don't even know what their opinion is. They don't think their opinion matters and that other people's opinions matter more. And then secretly, you know, they'll be resentful that they didn't have an opportunity to offer an opinion when in reality they did. Um, But they are being hijacked by their primitive brain. And so I think that, um, you know, there's definitely people out there that will take advantage of the people pleasers. Um, but it's not going to be a very authentic, um, you know, true relationship that's built on a strong foundation. It's going to be built on, you know, misguided, um, thoughts and misguided feelings. Interesting. So all the people pleasers, I have to say people pleasers is a pretty cool word. (laughs) It doesn't seem a very positive thing. And what about then you're the host of the Secrets of Self-Made podcast? What is it about? And obviously it's better than this. I'm not being a people pleaser at the moment, Tracy, but it's much better than this podcast. So listen to that one instead of this one. Um, (laughs) What's it about and uh, what, what can people expect from it? And is, well, is it is it about generally the techniques or is it everything? Yeah, well, it actually started off several years ago, just really highlighting, spotlighting a lot of my clients, you know, the successes that they had utilizing our systems. And then it started to expand. We had people asking if they could be on the secrets of the self-made. And originally I thought, you know, I'm just going to hold it to my clients. And then I started to think more about that and think about the value of having other people on and becoming sources of inspiration. And as long as I can get out of them, you know, what is their secret that really made them somebody who's responsible, somebody who takes credit for their results, whether they were unintentional, unwanted results, or intentional and wanted results. I want to, I want to really shine a light on those people. And especially the people who have a passion for modeling what it is that they do um, for other people, you know, who really set out with intention to inspire other people to take that same sort of responsibility instead of, you know, pointing the finger and casting blame. And I think, I think our culture is tends to be very polarized right now. And I really want to help people understand the value of taking responsibility for all of your experiences, all of your results. Um, It's just a much more liberating, satisfying way to live. And so those are the kind of people that I want to highlight on my podcast. I mean, this is just an open question here, Tracy, but when you're going through your life and your experiences experiences that you've had so far, I'm meeting different clients and, and so on. Do you become cynical or do you become tougher or do you look at life differently in any way from oh my gosh. say 10 yeah. years ago <laughs> yeah i look at life a lot differently i have so much more compassion because um i really am convicted in the belief that people just have not been taught how to think and that they are so often spinning out in 
unnecessary suffering because they're being hijacked by their primitive brain and they don't even know that that's happening. And, you know, even the hyperachievers out there, which I'll have clients take our saboteur assessment and they'll, they'll be thrilled that they are high in the hyperachiever area. And I have a lot of compassion for that person because they attach their self-worth to their accomplishments. So they are very dependent on constant performance and achievement for self-respect and self-validation. They are very focused on that external validation and attention and acceptance from others. Um, It tends to lead to workaholic type tendencies. They tend to lose touch with their own emotions um, and what their, what relationships in their life, how, you know, they tend to lose touch with those. Um, They have a hard time ever being satisfied. And if you think about that, that is just not a fun place to live from. And so, um, I have a lot of compassion. I, t- I tend to have hyper achiever saboteur narratives, you know, that those are the ones that show up most for me. And so I can relate to that. Um, my job as a coach is not to just jump in the pool with those people. I have to stay on the outskirts and throw them the life raft. So I have to, as a coach, you have to learn how to be neutral. Um, you need to really be very keen on their dramatic brain statements and not, you know, jump in and sit and sympathize with them. That's what a friend is for. That's yeah. not my job as a coach. <laughs> so <true. laughs> yes, I've changed a lot in the last <laughs> in the last years that I have become a coach. Um it's changed me considerably. But I do have a lot of compassion, but I don't necessarily, you know, spend my time just sympathizing with clients. That's not what they have come to me for. Oh, that's great. I'm actually I'm I'm looking at your um, your blog here as well. So when uh, listeners uh, when the podcast is is re- released and approved, you can get onto Tracy's website selfmadeyou.com, and on the blog as well, it has what uh, Tracy has chatted about earlier on, which is a self controlled operating system. Has all the information there. And before we go, Tracy, where else are you on social media? Are you on the LinkedIn's, the Instagram, the Facebooks? <laughs> Yep, we're on all of them. Um, and we offer free coaching on pretty much all of them. Um, so I always tell people the one stop shop is our website, www.self made, and then it's the letter u.com. That will direct people to all of our social media channels. It will offer some free resources and then explain more about our programming and our membership. Brilliant. Um, all I have to say, thanks so much to uh, Tracy Plescourt for chatting with me today. I'll put all the links in the uh, podcast once it's been released, and I'll put the correct website in and all the links for uh, Tracy's social media and her blogs and her fabulous uh, podcast. So thanks so much uh, to Tracy for chatting with me today on the Wellbeing Approval Podcast. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks, David.